Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Exodus 25 and verse 22, the Bible states these words, and this is just a springboard, absolutely a starting place. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune, everyone say commune, with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. My subject is very simply communion, and I want God to touch us afresh tonight. This is a very vital, important, serious time. God, I'm asking you right now, God, that you would touch the minds of every individual sitting under the sound of my voice. God, that these words, Lord, that are spoken will not, Lord, be old or too familiar to them that they would disregard them. I pray, oh God, this evening, help us, Lord, to lean into your word. God, take these words. God, there's so much scripture here that we'll share tonight, God, that we can learn by. God, that's good for our instruction, good for this, this particular task, Lord, that is set before us this evening. God, this thing that you have instituted, God, that we might keep some things in remembrance. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, bless us afresh and anew by it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. And the church say, amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. The lovely name of the Lord. Communion. Communion. We are not coupling tonight communion in washing. I know we have done that in the past, but I don't have enough time. Neither do you. But I, I am going to forecast that perhaps the Wednesday following Easter we'll, we'll do a study on that and, and follow through with that as well. But with these two institutions of communion and foot washing, uh, they both represent a fulfillment of the law. Uh, two things primarily, and that is by virtue of communion, uh, you show through example a love for God. And through foot washing, you show a love for one another. And the Bible said that all the other commandments hinged upon those two. As a matter of fact, whenever a man asked the Lord which were the greatest, Jesus replied with those two, love God and love another individual. So our participation, our participation in communion is one way, one among many, but one among many ways in which we can illustrate our love for God and our participation in foot washing then is one of many ways that we can show our, our, our love for one another. And so our purpose this evening is communion. The Bible stated there in Exodus 25, 22, the Lord speaking uh, unto them that there I will meet with thee, I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. If I could simply say it like this, communion happened at the mercy seat. The mercy seat in the Old Testament was the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant that was placed in that portion of the tabernacle that was called the holiest of holies. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that the priests did not enter into that holies of holies without blood. Everyone say blood. Once a year, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, that high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with blood from a sacrificial animal. Might I even say for our purposes tonight, a sacrificial body. He would enter into the Holies of Holies with blood from a sacrificial body. That body was known as a goat that was for the nations and the people, for the priest himself and his family, the bar was raised. It had to be a bullock. And so from these sacrificial bodies, each at a different time, he would take the blood from the body into that holies of holies, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And as a result, communion would start between that high priest and his God from above the mercy seat. Now, the blood 
we got to consider tonight in that holiest of holies the blood on the mercy seat. The blood itself on the mercy seat indicates a sacrificial body. Because you cannot have a sacrificial blood without a sacrificial body. That's right. You cannot have the blood without the body. And the priest did this on a yearly basis. The purpose in the Old Testament for him doing this on a yearly basis was to push the sins of the people of that nation forward, to push his own sins, his family sins forward one year. And so they would do that each year. But we as a church in this age, the New Testament, the New Covenant, we periodically do this thing called communion to remember how our sins were completely, totally dealt with by the body and the blood of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do this to remember that now this wasn't something that was pushing something off for another year. We do it to remember how it was pushed off for all eternity if you've been a partaker of the body and a partaker of the blood. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse number 10, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. After, the, after the Jesus Christ came and became the lamb for the world, there was never needful or necessary another sacrifice. Not another goat, not another bull, no other type of blood had to be shed whenever the blood of the perfect lamb had been shed. When you look in the Old Testament scripture, and, and I, I know this is kind of swift. I told my wife, uh, I, I went home about a quarter after six, and I told my wife, I said, uh, uh, I hope we can get through this. I said, because I hope everything that's taken up space in my notes is all the scriptures. I hope that's what the case is. But we're going to get through this. I'm here to tell you we're going to do it. Amen. The book of Numbers, you look in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, whenever you read the book of Numbers, it is directed toward the audience of the, uh, of, of the Levites. Whenever you read the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, for the most part, is directed toward the people, the common people. Whenever you read the book of Leviticus, it is directed toward, by and large, toward the priest. And something that interests me is that over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, the book that is directed toward the people, this does not occur in Leviticus, and it doesn't occur in Numbers, but the book that is directed toward the people, God uses this word, forget, over and over in these types of phraseologies. He says these words, toward the people, the book of Deuteronomy. He says, lest thou forget, nor forget the covenant. Beware, lest thou forget. Beware that thou forget not. If thou do all, if thou do at all, forget. Remember and forget not. Thou shalt not forget it. What are you saying that, Brother McGee? Because the Lord re-emphasized again and again the book of Deuteronomy that was by and large toward the audience of the common man. He was fearful of them forgetting what he had done for them of bringing them out of Egyptian bondage and setting them free from what they were incarcerated with. So again and again in the book of Deuteronomy, he's constantly bringing to their mind, I do not want you to forget about where you were and where you are now. I don't want you to forget what I have done for you. And that, in essence, is one of the tools and keys to communion of New Testament Scripture, of 1 Corinthians 11. Taking the body and taking the blood is all about remembering. It's all about remembering the Lord, not forgetting the Lord, and namely, what He has done for us. It's about not forgetting the pit from which he pulled you. Amen. It's about not forgetting the old man of sin that you once embraced but now are set free from. Why? Because of him and his work. Amen. And his sacrifice. When we consider the idea of communion during the Old Testament times, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and that of pagan practices as well because they had their, 
their sacrifices and their systems of sacrifice as well. It was quite commonly known that whenever a person had a sacrifice and they ate of that sacrifice as they commonly did it wasn't just a sacrifice parts of it were burnt but parts of it were aside for even sometimes the partaker or the one who offered the sacrifice to partake of that whenever that person had a sacrifice and they ate of that sacrifice that person believed and it was taught whether it be unto God or to false gods it was taught this very thing that they believed that they communed with the one to whom the sacrifice was made. So those that were even sacrificing to idol gods, when they did their sacrifice and they ate of the sacrifice, they believed that they were communing with the one to whom they made that sacrifice. But in the religious sacrificial system, the Old Testament of the Israelites, when they brought their sacrifices unto the Lord and they would partake of those things, they believed that in that moment they were communing with the one to whom they were sacrificing to. And so whenever we come in here tonight by symbol of taking of the body and of the blood, as you partake of that, you are in communion with the one to whom that sacrifice, amen, is unto. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ put an end though to all this ritualistic, systematic sacrifices of the Old Testament. However, when we symbolically take of this body and this blood, we keep in remembrance the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And once again, we commune with the one to whom the sacrifice was made. We have communion with the master. Now, New Testament, we read and there's descriptions describing the Lord's Supper. There is a connection from the New Testament to the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we have what's called Passover. In the New Testament, we have what's called the Lord's Supper. The connecting of the two is that the Lord's Supper in the New Testament happened on Passover. There is a connection then of the New Testament Lord's Supper with the Old Testament Passover. I have several verses of Scripture I'm about ready to read this evening. If you have a Bible, you might wish to turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and I'm going to skip through a few verses, but I'll try to direct you as I skip. Verse number 1, showing the connection now that the Lord's Supper was connected with the Passover of the Old Testament. It happened, coincided. At the, whenever the Lord in two, in, in, uh, started or commenced the Lord's Supper, He did it with not just haphazardly doing it, doing it purposely on Passover. Amen. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Know ye that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Skip down to verse 17. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? So in the process of this chapter, there is an advancement of days from that which we first read of in verses 1 and 2. So where wilt thou we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? 18. And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and saying to him, The master saith, My time is at him. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples and the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them and they made ready the Passover now when the even was come he sat down with the twelve now go to verse 26 and as they were eating Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission, which basically means release or sending away for the release of sins or the sending away of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom now this is very important what jesus does right here in scripture is something that he oft times has has done in the past sometimes he spoke in parables jesus was the master teacher and he was so masterful because he would oft times take 
common elements that people were familiar with and then teach a truth. Common elements that they knew, they understood, and then apply maybe the spiritual mechanism of truth to it. And so here he is. He's taken Sister Margaret something they're familiar with, something that they're common with. They have been celebrating Passover ever since they came from Egypt. It was a perpetual ordinance that they were to do. So this was a common thing with the bread and the cup and, and the bitter herbs and all. This was very common. Not only that, but he was using the bread and the fruit of the vine to explain to his disciples because he's, he's not death, burial, and resurrection yet, Jesus here. He's using the cup and he's using the bread to explain to his disciples what was going to happen to him very shortly. Because he's telling them, this is my blood. This is my body that's broken. What? He's explaining to them what's going to happen very shortly. Amen. His body would be broken. His blood would be shed is the terminology. And it's good for us as Christians to always underline the note that it's shed blood and not spilt blood. I've heard people let fall out their mouth, Jesus spilled his blood. Jesus didn't, act, Jesus didn't do an accident. He didn't accidentally, no, no. He knew exactly what he was doing. He willingly shed his blood. There's a vast difference between shed blood and spilt blood. My Lord and Savior didn't spill any blood. None of it was an accident. He shed all of his blood. And so he shed blood. And these things, though, would not be without purpose. They would not be without purpose because the blood, he told us, would remission of sins, the release, the casting away of sins. The blood would remit sin, but again, and I'll emphasize this time and time again tonight, the blood does not come independent of a body. So if you have blood, there's a body that accompanies the blood. Amen. And so Jesus told them in the closure of, of that discourse, he said, now I'm not personally going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until I get and it happens in my father's kingdom. Do you know what that's referring to? Jesus, I'm not taking of this again until we get into my father's kingdom. What that's referring to is what we would term even in the book of Revelation, amen, after the church is raptured and all these grand things, the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus is going to partake in all of that again that he had not since the time of his disciples. Amen. And so since the Lord's Supper has a very strong tie with the Old Testament connection of Passover, let's consider Passover for a moment. Because we can't properly understand this institution's present if we don't understand its past. And with that being said, concerning Passover, and you could meander around Exodus 12 if you want to, because we'll be there for a bit. The Israelites had been in Egypt for around 400 years. There's something we must understand. The initial trip of the Israelites going down into Egypt and staying in Egypt promised them a positive experience. Their initial trip into Egypt was promising a positive experience. And initially, it was. But the longer they tarried, hear me, the longer they tarried in Egypt, it transitioned from being something positive to something quite negative. They went into Egypt being free, but they would come out of Egypt having been bound. There's no greater story or illustration right here that can be paralleled in the life of anybody than that your trip down into Egypt, which has always been typical of the world, your trip down in Egypt will be at first positive, promising. And it will be exactly that. What's wrong with this? But the longer you tarry there, the longer you stay at Egypt, it's going to transition quite differently from what it first was. From something positive to something that is very much so negative. When you walked in there free, 
If you ever come out of there, you'll be coming out of there having had been bound. Someone understand what I'm saying about tonight? And so the decree is made. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different plagues. There's a lot of different things that come upon the people of the Lord, or, or, or rather the Egyptians there. And the, last, the last plague was that the firstborn of all the land was going to die. The firstborn of all the land. Amen. And God so happened to give Moses a warning for his Israelites, for the Hebrews, for the people. But here was the warning, or here is, if you will, the very crux and pivotal point for them. Their escape, their escape from the firstborn being taken depended upon what? It depended upon the blood. That had to have a body accompany it, though, right? Because blood doesn't come without the body. It depended upon a blood and a slain lamb, a slain body. The Bible says in Exodus 12, verse number 1, the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. This was not the literal beginning of a calendar year for them. According to their calendar, this would not have been the beginning of the year to them. But since they were coming out of their Egyptian bondage, the Lord is speaking to them through the mouthpiece of Moses that since you're coming out of bondage, this is going to be like a new year for you. This is going to be like the beginning of a new chapter in your life. This is going to be like a new life to you altogether. Whenever you get out of bondage, it's like starting afresh. Starting, even though on the literal scheme of things, it's not the beginning of the year. It's the beginning year for you because you're starting a new life. You was bound, you're now free. It's all changing right here. And so he goes on to say in verse 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month ye shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Old Testament lamb, amen. Old Testament lamb, lamb many times was just typology for Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we see a New Testament scripture in John 1 that whenever John the Baptist there at Beth Arbor and he's baptized and here comes Jesus, he declares, Behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house, wherein they shall eat it. Now remember, and we, we've tra traversed this area before, but remember, the blood was made accessible because a lamb had been slain. But it's only made applicable for the people as if they take it from the basin and apply it. We've said this before. Christ dying on the cross makes the blood available. But your involvement is for the application of that blood for your life. No one can say there's no blood available. But some can say it's not applied because they've not involved themselves in the participation of the application of the blood. He says in verse 8, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. He said unleavened bread. It wasn't leavened bread. Leaven, yeast, you call yeast. Ladies know what I'm talking about, yeast or leaven. You know, in reality, yeast or leaven is a form of corruption. Put it in something, and whatever it gets put in, that dough will get puffed up. Amen. That's right. So it was unleavened bread. Verse 9, he says, Eat not of it, still speaking of the sacrifice, eat not of it raw, nor sodden, at all with water, but roast with fire. This is important right here. His head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. Now the word pertinence basically means this, the insides, the entrails. He says, you're to eat of it not raw, and it's not to be sodden with water, but it's roast with fire. But you need to keep the head on it. Listen to me. You need to keep the legs on it. And you don't need to be taking out its entrails, its insides. In other words, he says, the lamb must be whole. The lamb must be whole. Don't take anything from the lamb. 
The lamb must be intact. Don't subtract anything from the lamb. Don't remove anything. Keep the head there, the, the entrails, every, everything that's a part of that lamb. Whenever you got the lamb, you cook that lamb. You're going to eat the lamb. See, Scripture tells us there's some things in this life we'll partake of in a spiritual sense that it'll be bitter in our mouth, but it'll be sweet to our tummy. Everything that we call Christianity and even Jesus Christ, some of the things, it doesn't always taste real good to us. But it is for our good. Sometimes it's bitter. Sometimes it even may seem a little insipid. But it is for our good. He said, you leave all that there. You eat all of it. Don't you subtract any of it. Don't you subtract any of that. Remember what he said back in verse 4. He said, if your household be too little, you find some other people because we're not, we don't want to waste this. We don't, want, we don't want to waste this if we can get by without wasting of it. And he says, and ye shall eat, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth, which hopefully would be a very minuscule amount until the morning, ye shall burn it with fire. Why are you doing that? Because there's, there's still going to be utility. You're not just scrapping it. Use it for the fire. <sighs> he goes on to verse 11. He says, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He said, eat it with your loins girded, shoes on your feet, and a staff in your hand. Why? Why are we doing this, Moses? Because you don't know when the coming of the angel is coming by. You don't know whenever it's going to be time to leave Egypt. We know it's coming soon, but we don't know the exact hour. And so have your shoes on your feet. Have your staff in your hand. Have your loins girded about you very, 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 very quickly because you want to be ready to go. Whenever it's time to go. In other words, Moses was trying to relate to them. There's an urgency about the trip you're about ready to take. There's an urgency about leaving Egypt. Amen. He says, gird, gird those loins. Just, uh, just last week, I believe it was, we talked about our loins girded about with truth. How that, that belt there had different things that were hinged upon it. The breastplate sometimes hinged there. The sword times sometimes hinged there. Sometimes they just girt their loins because they had their long flowing garments. And sometimes that would inhibit their walk. And so they would gather some of that up and they would, they would just girt their loin and girt their garment around them to keep from hindering or encumbering their walk. Can I say just for a tangent real quick and you understand what I'm saying? Don't allow your garments, namely your outward appearance, hinder or encumber your walk. That's good, Pastor. Yeah. Don't let your outward appearance encumber your walk. Honey, you need to get some of those things girded. Amen. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token. Everyone say token. Hebrew translation, sign. The blood shall be for you a sign upon the houses where ye are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Continuing on to verse um, verse number 14 and this day shall be unto you for a memorial and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever verse 17 says and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for in this self same day have I God brought listen to this very closely your armies out of the land of Egypt stop wait a minute got to tell somebody Communion causes us to reflect about a former state of being slaves. But how by virtue of the blood that must have a body, blood and body, look at the statement in verse 17. God made us armies. Someone catch what I'm saying right here? He says, I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. They were, ladies and gentlemen, literally slaves. But because of the lamb and because of the blood, they were coming out not as slaves. They were coming out as armies. Mm-hmm. That's because of the blood and because of the lamb. Skipping down to verse 24, and ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. 
And it shall come to pass when ye come, when ye be come into the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? He's saying, you're going to keep this ordinance and you're going to continue to do so. And by virtue of continuing to keep this sacred service, your children and the next generations are going to ask, why are we doing this? Why, why are we doing this? You know, I'll probably get some questions tonight when I get home. We must be getting a short now. I changed batteries. Why are we doing this? And you know what the answer, you can see the answer yourself. Whenever they spoke back to the children, you know what they basically was telling them? Hey, listen here. We were in bondage. We had to get up when they say get up. We worked not for our own benefit, but for somebody else. And the things that we were instituting and memorializing and raising was not to the true God of Jehovah, but to pagan entities. That's who we were. But because of the lamb and because of the blood, we're able to walk through Canaan today. We're able to have an established house today. Y'all kids are able to go out into the field and sow some seed and reap a crop because of that today. Folks, we need to have some questions from a generation that's coming up, your children, that after you leave tonight, what is that all about? I tell you what that's about because Jesus died on the cross and he provided a body. And he gave us some blood. That gives us the opportunity to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday to worship, to make heaven our home someday. Yes. He says, you keep this thing. And they're going to ask you, what means this service? Let me tell you, communion is a great opportunity to share the gospel. Because body and blood was only available by a death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. It's a good opportunity to share the gospel. Amen. For you to share your personal story, what he did for you. Uh-huh. In your life and in your family. And to let it be known that it's been virtually made available to all. Verse 27, here was the response that ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. Listen! They could say, not everybody left Egypt that day. Listen! You're my firstborn! But there were sundry of people back in Egypt that don't have a firstborn anymore because they loved Egypt! Oh God, you want the death of that lamb gave you life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, and he smoked the Egyptians. But he delivered our houses. The people bowed head and they worshipped. Man, that's the that's the right response. That's the right response to what's taking place around here this evening. Worship a bowed head. Passover then in essence is deliverance from Egypt by, by means of a lamb or a body if you will in blood. New Testament, the Lord's Supper deliverance from sin by a, a body and by blood through what? His death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm not, we're not doing too bad here. I'm feeling all right now unless I start dragging my feet here later. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 was teaching this, this custom, this institute to a carnal church. And let me just go by saying there isn't anything worse than a carnal church. Seriously. He's teaching a carnal church and he says in verse number one, he says, be ye followers of me, even as, we've seen that before, haven't we? I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye what? Remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. 
Now, firstly, Paul's underscoring this to this carnal church that they need a man of God in their life. They need a man of God in their life that they can pattern their life after. Paul's not being arrogant in, in verse number one. No. He tells them to follow him, or as we've learned through our Ephesians study, imitate. To imitate him, what? Even as he imitates Christ. So he's not being arrogant. He's just saying you need somebody in your life that you can pattern yourself out of. Amen. And so he exhorts them now to keep ordinances as he has delivered them unto them. Now, this is very, this is very crucial. Paul was not there when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the Gospels. He would come years later. Firstly, as Saul, the persecutor of the church, then converted to Paul. He was not there whenever the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. So several years later, converted, Paul got a great portion of his teaching by God in the Arabian Desert. The Bible says in Galatians 1 verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach, this is Paul saying, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem. He says, no. To them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with them 15 days. Paul, what Paul is relaying to us then concerning the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 isn't because he was there when Jesus instituted it with the other disciples. Paul received this by revelation from God. And yet what he received by revelation straight from God harmonizes with what the disciples experienced and were taught from the man Jesus Christ, which is God incarnate. Incarnate is just a fancy word for saying in the flesh. So later in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For I have received this of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you and it's from that point he continues with the bread and the cup now if you'll go to verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11 the Bible says now in this that I declare which the word declare in the Greek is command or charge now in this that I command or charge unto you I praise you not that ye come together not for the better but for the worse Paul says you've come together for the wrong reason. The carnal church has been gathering for the wrong reason. They've been gathering for the worst rather than the better. He continues in verse 18, he says, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. He says, y'all been coming together, but you're coming together not for the better, but for the worse. And for one matter, I hear there's divisions among you. And I partly believe, now there's one thing that God doesn't mince words. Divisions are strongly condemned in God's word. Divisions are. And since I see and I feel pretty good about how swiftly we're passing through this, I want to go just very quickly to the book of Proverbs. It will not be on the screen. I just had it there as a footnote if I thought I had time. Proverbs chapter number 6 and verse 16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Let me tell you, if he hates six and seven are abomination with that, that's all inclusive. If you turn over to the book of Revelations, it is in the book of Revelations, the exact chapter and verses escape me right now. Anything that is abomination is in, in, in line for hellfire, Scripture says. All right? All right? He says, and seven of them is abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speak of lies, and he that soft discord among the brethren. He says, you all coming together, but you got coming together for the worse and not for the better. Coming together sometimes for the worse is this, gossiping, backbiting, tail-bearing. Bible says that in the New Testament Scripture in the book of Corinthians that it basically if you start biting one another, you'll end up devouring. 
Because <laughs> you ever tried just, I'm just going to take a small bite of that pie. Before you know it, there's no more pie. What happens? You don't have the restraint to stop at just biting, you devour. The same is the case in a spiritual aspect of the church. If you start biting on one another, you'll end up devouring one another before it's all said and done. And that's not coming together for the better. That's coming together for the worse. And you know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying we can't have communion in environments like that. Amen. So we can't, we can't have communion environments like that. And he goes on now. He says, he says, there's divisions among you, but he doesn't stop there. He goes to verse 19. He says, for, so this is, you know, because there's divisions in addition to that, for there must be also. Since, in other words, Paul's saying, if you got division, then you got this too. He knew, he dealt with enough churches. He knew the rule of thumb of how things went. If you got this, you got this, you know. You know, like if you have the flu, then you probably got, you know, you probably got some uh, fever. You probably got a cough or, you know, you got something else. You know, it just kind of go hand in hand. He's saying if you've got, if you've got divisions, then for there must be also heresies, which basically means sex or not S-E-X, S-E-C-T, sex or parties or cliques among you. That they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So Paul's saying these parties, these parties are those who divide. These parties are those who divide because division does not happen without, you know, it's almost like having a, a Democratic or Republican party. Division is not promoted unless there's a party to promote it. <laughs> For Jesus' day, some of the parties they had were Sadducees, Pharisees, Christians, differing parties. Sadducees, they're sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They're sad, you see, because they didn't believe in angels and spirits. <laughs> but along with the Sadducees were the Pharisees that taught and believed in the keeping of the letter of the law. But the Christians believed in a resurrection. They believed in spirits and in angels. And they believed in keeping the spirit of the law. But it was the Sadducees and the Pharisees because of their activity. Listen to me now. That then gave manifestation to the writer of the approved, the Christians. Someone hearing me right now? Sometimes the only approved or right can be manifested with there being other things that are shady or off kilter. In, ancient, in the ancient world, Bishop says, okay, all right. In the ancient world, there was no banking systems as we know it today, no paper money. All money was made from metal that was heated until liquid poured into molds allowed to cool. Whenever the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the uneven edges. You know, something that's in a metal that cools, it's, it's kind of rough around the edges, so to speak. And so they would, you know, for safety, no doubt precautions, they would kind of file those uneven edges off the coins are quite quite comparatively soft and some people wishing to be untrue because see coins in that day it wasn't by value it was by weight that yeah I don't think that edge is quite smooth enough <laughs> and they keep doing on that old boy till it wasn't valued what it should be valued because it no longer weighed what it should have weighed. So they'd shave them real closely. And in one particular century, they made up about more than 80 laws that were passed to, to Athens to stop practicing whittling down the coins. It took 80 laws in order for to get this all taken care of because they were getting in circulation. But there were among them certain money changers that were of great integrity who, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't shave down their coins beyond just taking the edge off. And it were those people that were called the same name that the word is here in verse number 19, approved. They were called the approved. They're the right. They're the true. They're the honest. Amen. Because whenever you consider this, counterfeit coins was this. Counterfeit coins were coins that were lacking something. Lacking something. They were not true to the standard 
of weight. And sometimes it's nothing but the presence of the false that underscores the reality of the real. Mm -hmm. Paul even said in Acts chapter number 5 in the book of Acts 38, he says, now I say unto you, this is not him speaking, but it's in the context of, of Peter and Paul and some of the other disciples. There was a, we'll, we'll read the scriptures and then I'll explain. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. There was Peter here in Acts 5 and some of the other disciples. They stood in jeopardy of being slain. They stood in jeopardy of being killed until a man by the name of Gamaliel, the Bible says, who was a doctor of the law, he began to reason with the people that wanted to kill them. And Gamaliel shared, he's a, he's a doctor of the law, he shares a couple of case studies that he had to go off of, of two individuals. Two individuals who came into the community and really appeared to be somebody and started swaying the masses and some of the hearts of the people. And the Bible says that these people rallied around them, but that's getting aggravating. Switch gears. But Gamaliel, but Gamaliel said these people started rallying around them. They really seemed to be something. But you know what happened? Nobody did anything. And after a period of time, these men were either, either slain or, or they perished. And after they were slain or perished, the people that rallied around them kind of just dissipated and it all came to naught. Because if it's of God, it's going to last. But if it's not, don't worry about it. It'll fall apart eventually. Amen. He says, so this is one way that you can know. Man, just, just leave it alone. If it's of God, it's going to go. If not, then it's, it's just going to go topsy-turvy. If we continue back to the, the uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 20, the Bible says, when ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, this is what the apostle is conveying to them. He's saying that when you come together, really are come together for the purpose of the Lord's Supper. He said, but you all, it's not for the Lord's Supper. That should be the purpose, but that's not what's happening. That's not what's taking place. He's saying the Lord's Supper has become a very frivolous thing for you. It's become a very time of merriment and a lighthearted matter. And that's not the case. He goes on and says, verse 21, For in eating, everyone taketh before the other his own supper. He said, we got people fighting around up here for the bread and the cup. Yeah. And he says, there's some that are taking it while others haven't taken it yet. Whenever we take this later night, we're taking this together. Communion? Hello? <laughs> and he says, one is hungry, another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Amen. This is not a frivolous matter. By no means. He says, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Listen now. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Consider that statement. That the Lord Jesus, Paul is saying, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Listen to me. Invariably, when there is communion with God, there will also be betrayal. Someone hear me out right here. Do not as, do not do as Judas. Hear me. And take the Lord's Supper when betrayal is in your heart. Someone listen to me right now. I felt the spirit move on me today whenever I was at this juncture in the road. Judas tried to mask over his betrayal that was in his heart. When Jesus was sitting with his disciples at that supper, he told them that one would betray him. The Bible says they begin to ask, is it I? Is it I? Matthew 26 particularly focuses on the fact that Judas, in particular, asked the same question, is it I? Why, Brother McGee? I declare probably not wanting to stand out from the others of not having asked. What are you doing, Judas? 
I'm protecting the betrayal that's in my heart. John 13 declares that Judas did not leave until after the supper and the feet washing. He did not leave. He did not make his exit until after those things had taken place, till the supper had been ended and the feet had been washed. Therefore, I am convinced tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that Judas took the Lord's Supper, but did so unworthily because betrayal was in his heart. Follow with me here for a moment. And in doing so, as according to 1 Corinthians 11, Judas ate and drank, as the Bible says, damnation to himself and was literally guilty, as the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll read the scriptures, literally guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord because he took it unworthily. He had betrayal in his heart. See, to approach the table, to approach what we're about ready to do here this evening with betrayal in your heart, unrepented sin, is to be guilty as Judas was then. Amen. The Bible says in verse 27, 1 Corinthians 11, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, which means irreverently or in an unworthy manner or having unconfessed sin. This does not mean you have to be perfect. But this does mean that the sin that you're aware of in your life, you need to have repented of if you're going to partake. Amen. And so with that being said, this means then that if you are not saved, if you've not repented of your sins, as Bishop has always stated, if you've not been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, do not, I admonish you, do not take of this. All right? But the Bible says, verse 28, well, how can we clear the air? You should have told this a week ago. <laughs> I hope this repentance is a daily part of your life. The safeguard is this, but let a man examine himself. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Prior to us taking this tonight, we're going to have a time of prayer. For what purpose? That you might examine yourself. Or as verse 31 states it like this, that you may judge yourself. And you know what's interesting in Scripture? You can look at verse number 31 there, and I'll turn there very quickly, and I think this is awesome. He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. <laughs> I take that on a myriad of levels. We have all this in society today, and our society, that's God, well, don't judge me. Well, you wouldn't have to worry about that if you judge yourself. Amen. So in doing that, what are we doing? We're looking within. But I got good news for you tonight. We're saying, well, man, I might, might as well leave right now. You know, this is getting really sticky. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, but if you walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So everybody needs to repent tonight. Everybody needs to repent. That's one thing that bumfuzzles me sometimes. Altar call service. It's like, well, that's not me. Well, I'm sure there's something you can repent about. Because if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. And the truth's not in you. Amen. He says, if we confess our sins... Here's the good thing for you tonight. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come to that time of prayer before all this and you're truly repentant before God. You know what? Man, you confess it. God says, faithful, just, it's forgiven. And you can enter into this remembering what he has done for you, what he just did for you. Amen. Verse number 24, 1 Corinthians 11. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. A broken body. No, no bone in his body was broken. His body was broken in the sense it was broken by death. All right? The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, 
that we being dead to sin should live into righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11 back there. After the same manner also he took the cup and when he had supped saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Again shed blood through the death. Hebrews 9.22 and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now here's, I want to clear the air for people that may have any type of misconception. We do not believe. It's not taught. We do not believe in the idea that people throw around as transubstantiation. That's a big wording. That's a million dollar word. What that basically means is this. There are some out there that believe that whenever you partake of the bread, the bread literally turns into the body of Jesus Christ. And whenever you take the fruit of the vine, it literally turns into the blood. Don't teach that. What we have here is a symbol. But listen, a symbol is null and void if there's not a substance. There is no purpose for a symbol if there isn't a substance. What we have here is a symbol that's tied to a substance. Consider for a moment this idea of blood, of every other sacrifice, Old Testament, New Testament. Listen. They could not eat or partake of the blood. There's laws. Against it in the Old Testament, even reinstated in the New Testament. Amen. Matter of fact, one reason why they admonished them to do their sacrificing at the temple was so that the priest would be there and he would make sure that the blood was drained out of the sacrifice before the offerer would eat it. This is no pun intended, so the offerer wouldn't have that blood on his hands, okay? beyond the priest priest would verify that so they used to brought it to the temple so that he would qualify whether or not that was fully drained or not and they could eat of it to make sure the blood was properly drained in the new testament the bible spoke against eating things strangled to strangle something was to suffocate something when you suffocate something there is no bloodletting something strangled still has its blood by and large and so you would partake of blood. They told him in the New Testament not, not to eat then even of the blood. Anything that was improperly drained of the blood. Now listen to me. I, feel, I laid down last night at 11.30. And I'd been doing some studying. I laid down and God spoke this into my spirit. Perhaps the reasoning I believe is derived from Old Testament scripture of Leviticus 17.11. Because the life of the flesh, the Bible says, is in the blood. So no Old Testament sacrifice, New Testament sacrifice, any other body is the blood allowed for us to partake of. The only blood by symbol we are admonished to drink was the blood of Jesus by symbol. And perhaps, I'm just throwing this out here, perhaps that's because the only life he wants us, because the, 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 the life of the flesh is in the blood, Perhaps the only reason why that's the only blood by symbol that he wants us to partake of is because that's the only life he wants us to ingest is the life of Jesus Christ. Since the life is in the blood, it's unlawful to ingest any other blood <laughs> because he didn't want any other life to be ingested in your life because, again, blood's always connected with a body. Amen. John 6, 53 states this. Jesus Christ in this discourse about being the bread from heaven and so on and so forth. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have what? No life in you. New life for us today is only made possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only way new life is given to us through that, which was provided by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And our communion tonight is reflecting on that. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. Y'all going to feel like you're going to throw up communion in your head tonight. And I'm not talking about the literal body and the literal bread and the lit from everything I've just divulged here this evening. But that's all right. That don't hurt you. That's good for you every once in a while. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, that's present tense, Ye do shew the Lord's death, that's the past, till he come, that's pointing toward the future. 
So through this present day reenactment of what we do according to scripture, we're looking back proclaiming the Lord's death. And we continue to do so until he comes. Why? Because there's still others that need to partake of what's readily available. The blood and the body of Jesus Christ and how it can still bring people out of their so-called Egypt into a good standing of freedom. If you'll stand with me this evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.